Next on the Well of Sound, Thin Lizzy. So, William Butler Yates, James Joyce, Seamus Haney, Phil Linnett. <laughs> He's a hero to the people. I feel like that that's what like David Coverdale does not have a mural of him painted in Dublin somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like I mean, he's pretty got, significant. He's got an actual statue. Yeah. When I when I read that there was a statue erected in in I think was it 2005 or 1996 or something like that. Okay. I thought I thought wow, I mean, I don't think there's a statue of Bono around Dublin. Yeah, maybe one day there will be, but yeah, there probably will be. But, but I remember th- hearing when I when I found out that they were all Irish, it yeah. just didn't compute because I thought it was like kind of music for American kids driving Camaros and right. Uh, it and you know as everyone says, he was one of like three black men in Ireland of all time. You know, yeah. they, they when when they when they recruited him into the band, they're like he's as Irish as Irish can possibly be. But to do what I wanted, I had to leave Ireland. So it was like Catch Twenty Two because the first thing I didn't want to leave Ireland. I never actually wanted to go and live in England. You know, it was never uh, in my plans. Outside of the boys are back in town. I didn't really know their music very well. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. I, uh, I I was probably in the same boat. Uh, and then I, I think it was around the Mott the Hoople stage for me. I, I, I was like, well, let's see what else we got going on in, in the UK, in Hard Rockville around that time. And I picked up that first album, uh, Thin Lizzy, um, which I found to be really interesting. We can, we can talk about it and it's, it's, it's indicative of some things to, to come, but it's pretty rough around the edges. Um, yeah. but, but I enjoyed it, and that one stuck with me for a, a long time, and then I got like a, a greatest hits. Hearing you say Mott the Hoople makes me... Uh, I hadn't connected those dots, because there's actually a, a similarity there. Sure. Very literate frontmen who've got a strong um, um, world-building tendencies. Yes, um, Phil blue, is more collar. It, more into the co- kind of uh, legends, or he, right. he's painting these grandiose pictures where Ian's sort of more of I don't know more self-deprecating or something like that. Yes, but they're both um, they're both very literary, for lack of a better word, in a, in the hard rock idiom, which is not really known for being that literary. I've done uh, three books of poetry, and. Uh, I don't know. Poetry to me is very sophisticated word to use, you know. Really, I work in lyrics because of the songs, you know. But there's some lyrics that just won't make it to music, you see. We've got an interracial kid um, in the tough streets of 1950s Dublin. Um, You know, he's a fatherless child. Um, so he's got that mark on him. I'm sure he was picked on. I, I don't know oh on, at what level, but but had to have been. And uh, very much an outsider, like our guys uh, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Uh, you know, found solace in um, fantasy, going to the movies. I mean, so there's this cool mix of things going on. There's Holly, old Hollywood. There is Celtic legend. There is Catholicism. 
there is um, sci-fi stuff. Yeah, at least comic. in the in the imagery. Yeah, the, comic yeah, comic books. Um, and and then there's these these street stories going on, which I for the first time I had never put it together. But as I was sitting down and listening to all this stuff, I was like, this dude is Springsteen it, in Dublin. Exactly. Yeah. That's actually when I was I listened to the early stuff and I thought he sounds a lot like Hendrix because of his voice and and I right. and you know he was playing in bands before Hendrix was a thing I and mean, he was playing in bands in '65 as early as 1965, but you know when Jimi Hendrix came around in 67 68 um he was he sort of emerged in england even though he was american right uh because his both the members of the experience i think are both english uh, yeah uh, but they um uh they that's the the go-to i guess not only as a as a as a black guy in a sort of a white um medium but also as the most exciting thing going period. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, oh, I just, and, and you know, he cops to a lot. They, they later on, they do a song for Jimmy. Well, for me, he was one of my heroes, you know, like he was one of the, the true inspired. He, he showed to me that a black fella could be the front of a band and like be completely respected for what he did. But once they find their own voice, what I'm thinking the whole time is Springsteen. Yeah. I'm thinking Springsteen uh, with a little bit of like, um, uh, what was the what was the other band I was thinking of? Because his voice has a has a Bob Seger vibe, you yeah. know. And some would say Seger and Springsteen are married together, but Seger's earlier than yep. Springsteen. Anyway, that's tell me more about how you got into it into all this. It was definitely that first album, actually. I mean, conveniently enough, that that's. I spent some time with that. What's that first song on the first album called? The Friendly Ranger at Clontarf Castle. Should we play that? <laughs> yeah, it's, do it. It's, it's a launching point. The Friendly Ranger paused, and scooping a bowl of beans, spreading them like stars, falling like justice on different scenes. I'm damned, indeed, comrade, I'm being bombed, and all the people's faces turn strawberry blonde. By the morning gate, the friendly ranger waits for the sun, making sure it's not late. Just in time, no need to fear, well, just in case, and all the people are happy for another year. And in the evening shade, he climbs upon the sun, getting its glow. He goes on, singing this song. I, I remember listening to that song for the first time and getting totally sucked into a world. Also, his voice is is sort of enchanting and his, his accent is yeah, justice. I love that. Yeah. And the very first song, though, The Farmer, that first uh, single they put out, yeah. sounds like the band. Right. It sounds like a lot like the band, but it also sounds like nothing else they release afterwards. So I think that that's that's what we tend to see here is is there's a little bit of imitation going on as they find their footing along the way. So Phil and Brian Downey, the drummer, mm -hmm. are are basically the um, the the rocks 
of of this band yeah and they're they're the consistent element that's that's gonna found this band and, and go all the way through it that their drums and phil is essentially learning to play bass mm-hmm. before our eyes um beyond just being a, a a poet and a singer um and i think for those first two albums there's a lot of speak singing going on over top of jamming Right. And, right, and Eric Bell is the guitarist who I think is—he's a fabulous guitarist. Yeah, he's but I—he has his high moments, that's for sure. He's uh, and he's in all the documentaries about the band because clearly he's, this has kind of become a cottage industry for him. But <laughs> right. they, um, yeah, there's—I I, don't—I mean, in terms of the first two records, uh, I really—I I mean, for me, it begins really with the the release of Whiskey in the Jar. Sure. I mean, it makes sense to to jump right there. I mean, that's that's in during the time of the second record, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and not one that they necessarily hung their hat on. Um, it's a it's a traditional song that they made electric and and put a little oomph behind. I it. mean, Bell's gu- guitar riff on it is great, and I think the vocal's wonderful. I've always loved that song. Yeah. Then you come to find out that they felt like it was a B side that they w- that the all the disc jockeys and the management sort of put as an A side. Was going to be Black Boys on the Corner. And we thought as a laugh for all our supporters back in Ireland, we'd like send up the whole singles market because at the time we were very into being an album type band. And we thought we'd send up the whole singles things by doing a rocked up version of Whiskey in the Jar. So it was a bit of a joke. Especially if you grow up in Ireland during that time, you're also very aware of being patronized and looked down upon. Yep. What's the great um remember that wonderful that wonderful movie about the blues the the sort of soul band out of the commitments and yeah. you're sort of like, oh, you know, the Irish. Yeah. We are the worst of the worst. We're the worst of the worst. Yeah. We are the underclass of Europe. Yeah. So we that's why they had such an affinity for like black music from the south so maybe they were sensitive about that but i love that song and you know i I realized afterwards he doesn't play a bass line in it he simply plays the chords and he was told he was told not to you listen and most of the time phil's as he gets more confident he's he's playing a lot of bass stuff but i mean i can i can i play the beginning of that song Such a great melody to my ears. I, I, I always I thought it was a successful use of the Celtic thing, but it only foreshadows what's going to come. Yeah. So in '73, we get Vagabonds of the Western World, and we start to get this Thin Lizzy imagery going on yeah. uh, with the the um, what's his name, Jim Fitzpatrick. He's a Irish illustrator, and he has kind of a Jim Starlin thing going on. Yeah. Right? Like, Jim Starlin. I actually, if you look at it, it looks like the Captain Marvel stuff. Uh, it does. In fact, he, he draws Eric Bell on that the cover of that looking like Jim Starlin, <laughs> like a Captain Marvel comic. Um, but that, that record I think there's some great like stuff in there. It's, it's really, I love the song, Vagabonds oh, of the Western World. Let's play it. Yeah, go for it. 
He's like so it's almost force. like redeeming their heritage yeah. in 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 the eyes of the world, and as you said, is like a pretty devout Roman Catholic, from what I understand, yeah. and yet also one of the most debauched rock stars that you could possibly think of. When every single story you hear about Phil uh, Lynott and and the rest of the band, in fact, yeah. this is why Eric Bell ends up leaving after three records, is right. because it's reading between the lines, it sounds like the it is the full-on rock and roll lifestyle. The full-on rock and Phil is, um, Phil is like a, a rock star in the primordial mold of rock star. What we think of as rock star. There's a non-ironic sort of world-conquering mm-hmm. sex, drugs, and rock and roll um, with like a sort of a, almost like a religious belief in the power of rock yep. uh, and uh, and in what's really an extremely hard work ethic mixed with just, um, you know, a love of the ladies. Honestly, you wouldn't believe it to look at me, would you? <laughs> the white suit, no. Uh, but uh, when, when, that's, when all that started to happen, you know, I went for it because, like, I was tired of hearing rock and roll stars saying how how sorry they were for themselves, you know, like how they disliked fame and how they were bothered. I jumped to it, you know. I was famous. I thought, great, the women are after me, you know. Like, people want to buy me free drink, you know. They want, they want to treat me. They want to take me here. Like, they want to take me there. Great. And, you know, I, I really went for it, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> yeah, you hear it literally over and over again. You, you it's in this song. Uh, it's it's about this vagabond that goes town to town. He finds the innocent, most beautiful girl, and and here it says he 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 told her that he loved her, and he took all her silver. I, I love that. <laughs> he then talks about the, the baby boy, and the baby boy being the pride of the vagabond's eye. I I think he's trying to wrap his head around his father. Um, in some way, but at the same time, he's 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 doing it himself. I I, I think he had um, he has a couple illegitimate children as a result of this this early phase of his his life touring and and um, I believe it. And you know, I didn't I didn't actually realize that, but I know that he's referred to as basically having a strong appetite for absolutely everything associated with rock and roll. We didn't we forgot to talk about the I mean. Where does the name come from? Um, Eric Bell thought of the name. Uh, there was a comic called uh, The Beano. 
We lived in England when I was a kid for a little while, and th- there's the dandy, and then there's the beano. Okay, and they're really geared at, um, they're really geared at like nine to eleven year old boys. They're not really delinquency stuff. It's more sort of uh, a, a little bit of like a uh, uh, um, Three Stooges kind of mixed with like Dickensian. Uh, okay. Right. nonsense and some English wordplay and the Beano was so important to me I got really hooked on it when I was in second grade that when we moved to America I had the Beano sent to me in America but that was, was an age when no one ever did that so when I think it when I heard that it was the dandy and the Beano and he's photographed reading these and a lot of these British rock stars sort of that was what the actual literature they were brought up yeah on. um it made me laugh so because I hadn't thought about all my Beanos and all my my dandies for a long time. Do you know the character Tin Lizzy? Does I that don't, jump out? At I you? don't know the character. It's a great rock name. It's a great rock name. I, I have a I have a close friend who will accuse me of being the uh, the music asshole who insisted upon calling them Tin Lizzy uh, <laughs> in our early twenties. Um, I have I have since let that go. Mm. I have no oh. need to be that guy for the greater good. Um, so yeah, Vagabonds has what else is on there? The rocker, as you said, the rocker, the hero, and the the madman, <laughs> which is hilarious. It's got yeah. this sort of again, we've got these archetypal things going on: the hero and and the villain. Um, that has a narrator in it, um, a DJ at the time. Kid Jensen does this sort of. Uh, Americanized uh, narration, which is a little bit off. The Madman climbed the steeple spire. Well, what I love that comes out of this record, um, and is on the extended version, um, is so Eric Bell, as you said, leaves the band. Mm-hmm. They pull in Gary Moore, um, who was in Skid Row. Not, not Sebastian that Bach, Skid Row, Skid Row. Yeah. <laughs> um, was in an early uh, or mid-60s band called Skid Row that Phil Linnett was in. Uh, and uh, so they bring him in as a, as a hired gun. Uh-huh. Um, and they record what are essentially three of my favorite Thin Lizzy songs. Uh, Little Darlin', um, uh, Still in Love With You. Yes. And... Um, uh, Shitamoya. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot Those, how you say it. <laughs> that was well, so that's how he says it. So yeah, that's, okay. uh, that's how I, I'm, again I'm that rock and roll asshole. <laughs> Shitamoya. Um, is that a Gaelic word? I never. I didn't quite so I it. tried to look it up. So I, I I couldn't find it in any uh, Celtic reference or Gaelic. But the closest I could find is maybe it means 
uh, wealthy widow. But that doesn't, it's, it's sort of nonsense yeah. next to but you're right, what they, the song they is about. Three songs that are with powerhouses. Gary Moore. And Gary Moore will make more appearances in this story. Yeah. Uh, it got me actually, this whole thing got me really interested in Gary Moore. Yeah. Um, well, can I play Little Darling, which yes. I, I just blows my mind? didn't tell me otherwise i would think that was a bob seeger song but with this other worldly sort of metal force behind it right holy mackerel and the horns it just blows your hair back and then his again this sort of rhythmic like like almost primal like uh, uh vocal pronunciation of things the little gonna and then the backing vocals on that get me they really build to a climax um Anyway, I, I I mean this is 1973, I think. I mean it's it's yeah. it's, it's early still. And that doesn't make it onto an album until uh Remembering Part 1, which is a uh, a compilation that Decca does mm-hmm. um of these first four-ish albums, I think, which also has a a Jim Kirkpatrick illustration of them riding space motorcycles essentially, <laughs> which is awesome. Um I've read, I mean, around this time, they are touring with Slade, who are like right. the biggest band. And Susie Quattro. And right. Susie Quattro. And Chaz Chandler, you know, who had, was in, had been in Who's the... Who's that? Chaz Chandler had been in The Animals, I believe, and he was a big-time producer who was okay. uh, discovered Hendrix, and um, he also was their manager or something like that. He's a major figure in English rock around this time. And he, he basically threatens them backstage and says, your, your stage show is so boring. Uh, you're just standing there, and the guitar solos are so long. I'm going to cut you from this tour if you don't change it up. And that's when wow. that's when Phil is like, "Oh, I've got to actually become this thing I'm singing about." And so that's it wasn't until then that he really starts to inhabit the rock star, the, the vagabond. He starts, you know, the any time you see footage of Thin, Thin Lizzy playing, Phil is like stalking the stage, and he he's using his bass guitar like a rifle basically or yeah. like a submachine gun kind of pointing at people and kind of shaking it as though he's he's firing at them and it's yeah. very it's an attack attack it's, we'll hear that more than once <laughs> and once you get this the two guitarists in because bell leaves that's and the next move gary right? moore decides not to stick around and so they get uh brian, brian robertson robo robertson who's from scotland yep and then you get scott, scott gorham, gorham who's yep. from california yep and they start. That's when people say the classic lineup begins. We're starting to hear the the not dueling guitars, actually har- harmonized guitars. That yeah, becomes their signature. So, Robo was really like up front, you know. For real. Okay, let's go for it, you know. And Scott was the real laid back Californian, you know. So I thought, 
talk and cheers, you know, this should work well. And it did work, you know, because there were two different style guitars. They bring that style to the forefront. We've seen it before with uh, MC5 have dual leads. Um, the Almonds, the Almonds do it a few had times. it. Um, Wishbone Ash, which I, I have yet to fully get into. They have a good um, uh, a good sound, but when you get to the vocals, it's uh, kind of a letdown, uh-huh. um, at least from what I found. And then... Going forward, Judas Priest is among the most notable sort of dueling uh, lead guitars, which are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes a bit of a template for them, but it's not something that they're... Uh, they're not inventing it, but they're not really... It's an original sound to when you think of the boys are back in town, which is their most well-known song off right. of Jailbreak. You've got the street smart vocals, but then you've got these harmonized guitar licks that are that's actually what sticks in your mind for sure. Nightlife is what they record, and they they all are on record as saying they hate that record. I think it's actually a pretty good record. So you get um, I say it's tame, right? Um, I yeah, I looked up all music calls she knows, which is a great song. Gently propulsive. <laughs> you don't want to. That's not. That's not two two words. You uh, want to I I like that song though. Uh, Still in love with you. The song that I talked about before that Gary Moore is on is actually ends up on Nightlife. There's mm-hmm. a cover of Willie Nelson's Nightlife, hence the uh, the name of the album. Um, it's not that great. It's not among the best. Um, there's a song called Philomena about his mother. Let's where... play. Let's, can we play Philomena? Yeah. This is. Uh, he's very close to his mother throughout his entire life. In every documentary, they're interviewing Philomena, and she's talking about it. She's this kind of really well put together Irish lady who, mm. you know, in 1950s Dublin, to be unwed with a with a black child is yeah. uh, in a, a extremely uh, Catholic. Um, Situation, even though, by the way, the band had Protestants and Catholics in it, right? It, from Ireland, and so, but it, um, the Philomena really, um, the story of her life is the story of her son as well, because not just because Thin Lizzy, but because this is such an earth-shattering thing for anyone to have to go through. But here, here's the song he wrote for her. <laughs> accent right at the forefront which he doesn't you know he americanizes his voice in so many other songs most songs really mm-hmm. um but this sort of heartfelt song about his mother um is is sung to the tune of you know ireland yeah uh, which is I, I i think makes it work even better i mean i'm all anytime he dips into the celtic either um 
just the, the vocabulary, the the mythology, or the melodies. I'm all for it. I think yeah. it sounds incredible when it's played when these when these songs are played by harmonized guitars. Yeah, with his sort of rough. Uh, you know, tacking vocals. I think it's it's an incredible sound. They they sort of don't they don't they it continues to be there, but they also, as you've talked about, they work in the American thing pretty strongly because they've started they're starting to tour now. They're storing with people like Queen. in the U.S. Yeah, too. Right. That's the next move for them is uh, they go on tour in America with Bob the, Seger. Bob Seger and BTO, baby. <laughs> BTO, <laughs> BTO, which is got me—it's it's huge. Well, that's not exactly American, I guess, but uh, it's, yeah, it's north that, of. There's a country north of America that I've heard of. Oh, that's that's post guess who? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, Canada. So, fighting is the first record that comes out. Fighting people. Uh, everything I read says that this is the the great of the great run of records begins at fighting, and one of the things I think that's amazing is that it begins with a cover of Bob Seger's Rosalie. Now that's a song that's off Seger's record. My favorite Bob Seger record is called Back in '72, um, which was I think came out in 1973, <laughs> yeah, or maybe possibly '74. It's out of print. Bob won't let allow it back into print for some God knows what reason that's because why I find it's it. unbelievable. The song Back in '72. Uh, it's worth having an entire podcast episode just about that song Ooh, and that let's album. Do it. It's the original "Turn the Page." It comes on back in '72, oh, and Rosalie's on there, and it's this incredible song. And so anyone who's heard it, but you know, Bob has basically buried it for some reason. Do do, do we know? Do we have any hint? There's a hint of that he doesn't like the way it was recorded. Okay, but I listen to it and I'm thinking like. This is so well recorded and so badass. And does it Did, show up on any live albums? It's uh, not on the, the I don't Silver Bullet Live. I think so, but a lot of people cover Rosalie. Right. And he when he, he redid Turn the Page for Live Bullet. Yeah, right. He predates Springsteen. He is Detroit sort of incarnate and this record back in seventy two had an enormous influence and uh, uh, Smoke and OPs. These had an enormous influence on all sorts of hard rock groups around this time, Thin totally. Lizzy being one of them. Not only vocally, but they they make the song their own. It's yep. a great song. But for me, if that's only the beginning. That record is uh, incredible. I love it. Well, there, there's another thing of note about that record, um, which is that he gives uh, Robertson and Gorham a uh, sole writing credit on a handful of songs. Uh, when I'm in a band situation, regardless of who's up front, I, I like it to work. I like it to be... But to be given and, and take from all the musicians in the band. I don't like a, a dogmatic s- structure where I go, you play this and play the same thing every night. I like people to give input because the bass, the bass is part of the rhythm section, so it, it plays behind the voice or the lead guitar. So as a bass player, I like to play with the musicians and obviously as a singer. Fighting my way back, holy mackerel! Fighting my way back, suicide. I, um, you want? Why don't you play "Fighting My Way Back"? Oh my God, I love the lyric. I'm tough, rough, ready and able to pick myself up from under that table. Oh, <laughs> and the wah wah guitar. Here we go. Let's let's do it. Fighting. Don't shout on me, I got no baby. 
There's something that needs to be said that's already that we we you haven't we don't. Uh, he's like the mystery player in the whole Thin Lizzy story, but Brian Downey's drumming is is awesome. Yeah, and you hear it in Fighting My Way Back. But I mean, for me, that that's just the tip of the iceberg with that record. By the way, it's got it's the debut of their incredible logo. Yes, that then Good disappears call. for a couple records. Good call. But that launched you know a gazillion T-shirts for with all you know. Just actually, so. you don't see that logo again until the later era when there were. That we've got some live records coming out, but it it is the iconic logo, and you can see that like every you know, so many '80s bands tour that. That's why sometimes you know I thought Thin Lizzy was more an '80s band than a '70s band, yeah, because their logo it turns out um, kind of established the font or the look yeah. of what '80s hard rock would look like. But there's a song in there called Wild One, which is sort of sad, uh, and I I love it. I'm gonna play a little bit of that one. Do it. Something struck me about as we were listening to that song, like this out fighting is the soundtrack to one night in a pub. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It has every element. It has the, you know, they've learned how to do the ACDC thing of just deliver the goods of sort of like what you want to hear from a rock song, fighting my way back, uh, ballad of hard man, um, that kind of stuff. And then you get that song of the, like, these are the the last hours, the sentimentality that ends the up Irish. happening. The Irish sentimentality yeah. of the hugs after the fights and and all that stuff. Like this is that, and it's and, wonderful. I mean, there's also that incredible song "Suicide," and there's uh, "Suicide." Oh we man, forget the King's Vengeance is on that record. Oh my god, which is <laughs> I want to put it. I want to play it. I do too. It's, let's just let's do just it. Play it. It's it's like they. They haven't abandoned the swords and uh, you know uh, right. horses and knights it's and armor. It's still finding its way in. It's so good. Here's what I love about this guy. I was kind of fumbling around it before, but he just knows what words sound good. You know, (laughs) with his voice, with this sound in this uh, hard rock thing, he knows what words sound good. And in that song, we get um, 
this the, it's it's sort of the two big uh, sort of visual elements of the band is the street thing you've got a guy a, a boy who's getting judged for his his juvenile delinquency and it strikes right up against the chorus about this 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 stuff of old this legendary kings and and swords and all that stuff they're it's, not they're they're actually somehow linked in some somehow way. somehow and, and maybe that's what it's like you know we talked about this it as relates to uh lindsey buckingham or stevie nicks really but i think it's true with a lot of the bands we've talked about certainly Mont the hoople but um the ability to foster some sort of mythology, yeah, um, self-mythologize even to create a world which is now today called world building. But um, you create you not only have an aesthetic and a sense of uh, song craft, but you you have something larger than that. You, you you bring people into a space that they wouldn't otherwise inhabit. And Thin Lizzy does that, and they've mm. done it to me. I've kind of been living in that space ever right. since we decided to work on this episode. And then, of course, though we go from fighting. Right, yep. which, by the way, we, it, not only is it's got the great uh, logo on the cover, but it also has the dumbest cover they, <laughs> they ever did. It doesn't have Bare Jim chested. Fitzpatrick. It's like <laughs> they're in an alley looking like they're about to get into a fight and wearing all of the most dated clothing also, I just want to call out one uh, again. This is a uh, a, a Robbo and Gorham lyric, uh, a, a, according to what I've seen. But um, in "Ballad of a Hard Man," there's a great line, which is, "I've been mixed up, cut up, so sit down and shut up." <laughs> so good. <laughs> I didn't get. I didn't pick that up on first listen. Uh, um, so yeah, next comes the uh, the their finest moment. I, I think. Well. It's the beginning of many fine it's, moments. It's unbelievable, though. It it's lives, the heights. It lives up to it. You know, and I'd always seen the Jailbreak cover. Um, 1976. 1976. It's produced by John Alcock. Oh, wait, I think. hold on. <laughs> it's produced by the same guy who produced Fighting, who I don't think is that well-known otherwise, but it's got this... Jim Fitzpatrick is back yep. doing a cover where they're looking like they're breaking out of jail. All Except four of for them. they look like they're breaking out of a future prison, by the way. Yes, Again, this sort of sci-fi element works its way in. Tonight, there's going to be a jailbreak somewhere in this town, Lex. Um, where is that jailbreak going to be? Uh, somewhere. somewhere in the, it's going to be at the jail. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> that hit me today as I was listening to it. I've heard that song so many times, and I was like, wait a minute. The song itself is so good, though. It's a powerhouse. What a way to open an album. Here we go. Come on. Do it. incredible song it's a great song it, it the imagery that it conjures up immediately draws you into the album i mean especially if you're like a adolescent boy but um even so it's a great 
tune and it, he's starting to really sound like Springsteen here. Yeah. Um and I love that tune. I mean on that record it also has um Cowboy Song. Yeah. Which to my ears is one of the great they're appropriating That's the honestly, Americana. You, you asked me when it sort of officially clicked for me. It's when uh, I started listening to Cowboy Song, and I, I it was on repeat. I listened to that song over and over and over again. It's a it's a great tune. It works. You know, I, I always like songs about cowboys. Um, also, Emerald is the one oh. where they go crazy with the Gaelic with with I mean, Tolkien esque almost. They go they go from Cowboy Song, which is America, into the heart of the Emerald Isle. Holy um, mackerel. They, I, they go full on Ireland and it works. It's fantastic. I'm going to give us a few few seconds of Emerald. Do it. Oh my God, please. Down from the glen came the marching men with their shields and their swords to fight the fight they believed to the right overthrow the overlords Towns where there was plenty They brought plunder, swords and flame When they left the town was empty And children would never play again George R. R. Martin, eat your heart out. Oh man, it's so you know? good. Here we have it. The swords and sorcery. It's incredible. Um, the song in, in which is the great breakout song that everyone will always know. Yep. Um, which is the boys are back in town. Yep. Which seems to have as again one of these songs that doesn't really belong to Thin Lizzy anymore. It um, belongs to Forty Eight Hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love that song. I don't think I'd really listened to it seriously until I got into Thin Lizzy. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my goodness, this is an incredible song. It's a great song. Um, they, that album also has Fight or Fall, which is a wonderful song. Mm. Um, I, I won't, we've played a lot already, um, but so I won't dive into Fight or Fall, but but check that out. It's a good one. So they go, they're going to be touring. They, they want to tour that record, but they can't because I Phil think gets they, sick or they've toured part of it. They, I, I think they toured like crazy with like Aerosmith and Rush. Like this was the, it, man, okay. lucky to be alive to see uh, all, all, all that crew. But they know? go back into the studio so quickly. Yeah, so Phil gets sick. He, he has hepatitis um, and he is, I, I, I think basically on bed rest and, and, he starts working on this next album. Mm. Johnny the Fox. Johnny the Fox, man. Johnny the Fox. And it doesn't disappoint. You know, the, uh, one thing we, we are, we're already Johnny noticing, we're only like, this is in the course of five and a half years. Yeah. The guy is prolific. He does not have writer's block. No. Um, and whatever substances he's on, they're not dimming his creativity one iota. Jo- I, I think the song Johnny is so good. It's better right. run. You better, you better run. <laughs> Johnny the Fox meet Jimmy the Weed. Isn't that one of the songs in there? Yeah, I mean, he's getting into the the concept uh, record, um, and it's a it's a good one. Um, 
Borderline is on there, which is kind of a, you know, it's a it's a Skinnerd song. Let's face it. Um, <laughs> he is nicking things from people left, for right sure. And but he's making it his own, and and hey, that's no problem. Um, I don't believe a word. I love it. Has that sort of you're so vain thing going on. Like, don't believe a word of what I say here. Yeah, that, especially if I tell you. I that love you. Yeah, exactly. And then Fool's Gold has got the oh. The, the, let's come on. Let's let's let's, let's hear. Gold, which this is, is a, a Spinal Tap uh, inspiration for sure. Yeah, if this didn't influence Stonehenge, I don't know what did. In the year of the famine, when starvation and black death raged across the land, there were many driven by the hunger to set sail for the Americas in search of a new life and a new hope. Oh, but there were some that couldn't cope. And they spent their life in search of fool's gold. Uh, enough said you know that's 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 all if that's all they'd ever done it would have been enough Holy right mac- that's true because fool's gold is not that great of a song but that part is amazing but the song that that sticks with me off the record besides johnny yeah is the song massacre yep i love it and it also uh reminds me of the fact that uh, phil wrote a lot of songs about people getting killed <laughs> i mean in various ways there's killer on the loose there's massacre there's king's vengeance there's soldier of fortune i mean there's a lot of stuff about like the you know the aftermath of oh people getting hacked to pieces yet it's not it's it's not gothic really um, right it's no. not black sabbath so Johnny the Fox comes out, yeah. and this is, from what I hear, Brian Robertson at this point, they're getting ready to tour. And, um, oh, this is a good one. <laughs> this is Brian Robertson. Uh, it, the tour has to be canceled, because on the 23rd of November, Brian Robertson suffered a hand injury when trying to protect fellow Glaswegian, uh, Glaswegian singer and friend Frankie Miller, who is a, a big uh, Rod, that's Rod. And also who uh, is responsible for the awesome vocals on Still in Love With You. Oh, yeah, and uh, Frankie Frankie Miller is Rod Stewart's favorite um, Rod Stewart's favorite vocalist. And from what I hear, Bob Seger's as well. Well, I have I have all of his solo records. You can borrow them. Uh, thank you. Um, I will. So uh, he's trying to protect his fellow Scott singer and friend Frankie Miller in a fracas at the Speakeasy Club in London. Miller had been jamming on stage with reggae band Gonzalez, but had been drunk, offending Gonzalez and guitarist Gordon Hunt. Hunt attacked Miller with a bottle in the dressing room, and Robertson intervened, suffering artery and nerve damage to his hand. Robertson subsequently broke Hunt's leg, broke the collarbone of another man, and headbutted another before being hit on the head with a bottle, rendering him unconscious. Now, that's a, that's a brawl. And now, if you can't believe that this isn't the man that wrote the song Ballad of a Hard Man on the album Fighting, I don't know... What you believe? In all the interviews with Brian Robertson, uh, uh, he's not. Um, time has not treated him well. Um, God, God, God bless him. But he, uh, you, you, there was clearly some real bad blood. So Brian Robertson is not allowed to come on this tour. They right. tour with Queen. And um, they get, I think it's Gary Moore to fill in again. No, 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 no. They get mid-year. 
Um, no, 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 no. They get Gary Moore. That sounds right. Um, because they're going to do uh, Live and Dangerous. Whatever the case is, they end, up, they end up having to go into the studio after this tour. They want to do Bad Reputation with Tony Visconti, the guy who produced Bowie and yeah. is sort of so uh, idolized by folks. And they do Bad Reputation. And in the middle of it, they have to sort of invite him back in. Yeah. They invite, they invite uh, Robertson back in, but Robertson's pissed. And he's, he's hurt. He records his parts. They do another tour. That's Live and Dangerous tour, I think. Gotcha. Okay. And Tony Visconti produces that, uh, which is has achieves mythic status as the most incredible live album. It's got a little bit in common with Kisses Alive, and that right sounds like it was heavily what's live, doctored. What's not? Um, but then he leaves uh, for good, from what I understand. But bad reputation, you know, it gets all the press. And you and I were talking about this offline recently. And yeah, I love Tony Visconti. I'm, most of his work, I think, is great. But I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I don't. I think bad reputation is a step down from a jailbreak. Certainly, it doesn't jump out of me. That's it doesn't have the sure. same energy. I like a few of the songs. I like Soldier of Fortune, and I do like I like Dear Lord a lot. Um, but and the song Bad Reputation is pretty good. It has Dancing in the Moonlight, oh, which yeah. is is the big song off that. I album. get chocolate stains on my pants. Yeah. <laughs> they say it's sort of the the Van Morrison uh, uh, ode. Is there um, anything you want to play off of? Uh, not really, honestly. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> it's not my favorite. Um, but I, you know what I would like to play? I don't I don't know what part because the track goes on and on. But right about this time it is Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Let's talk about Boom. Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. That's on my list of things to talk about. Because after, <laughs> that's 1977 is Bad Reputation. 1978 is a very interesting year for Phil. He not only, the punk is emerging and he becomes friends with the Sex Pistols to the extent that ah, he and Gorham yes. and Downey draft uh, um, a super group essentially Steve Jones and Paul Cook of the Sex Pistols and they form a group called the Greedy Bastards the Greedy Bastards and they play a few gigs and they end up releasing a single and they're filmed on top of the pops doing a Christmas song called A Merry Jingle which is just did you find it? I did I've watched it it's, it, it's just it's um, We Wish You a Merry Christmas and Jingle Bells sort of uh, done in a punk style right and they seem to be having a lot of fun, but that's the greedy bastards. But Phil, unlike you know a lot of these bands with long guitar solos, that's usually what punk right. They're punk that, rock's those hate bands those guys. are getting further and further from the heartbeat of what's really going on, and Phil's getting closer. Phil's getting closer. I think he finds it, he finds punk rock exciting. Yeah, and he also plays on Johnny Thunder's uh, main solo record. Oh yeah, yeah, the one with uh, you can't put your arms around a memory. Yeah. He's on that record. That's awesome. So Phil's kind of turning up everywhere, but yeah. then he turns up on Jeff Wayne's, and the full the full name is a musical version of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. Justin Hayward's on there from the Moody Blues, and Phil shows up um, in a great a, a song that charts. I think. Well, so here's the deal with this Spirit this album man. is that like in the UK, I'm sure all our all our, our countless British uh, uh, listeners are rolling their eyes right now. Um, but yeah, it's it's very popular in the UK. Something like the 40th highest selling record of all time There's live England. performances sort of every few years. And no one knows about it in America. I've no. heard about it intermittently throughout the years as this thing. Jeff Wayne was a guy who wrote advertising jingles. and like Something like 3,000 advertising jingles is mm -hmm. what Wikipedia tells me at least. But this is his great baby 
And I'm trying to think what a, it, it's a rock opera, but Richard Burton really narrates a ton of it. A ton. It's it's almost too much. And it, it it's got an Alan Parsons vibe. There's I'm trying disco, to disco. There's it's it's a little discofied. Yeah, you've you've heard versions of this type of thing before. Forever Autumn is is the song that, that Justin Hayward of the Moody Blues sings, and it's it's good. It's not. I mean, it's not amazing, but it all works together. The song I like the best is the one Phil's on. He's Parson Nathaniel. That's right, Nathaniel. I, this is my yeah. I, I did not realize he's basically thinks that the Martians are God's judgment on the earth and they're demons. That's right. Rather than Martians, right? And he kind of goes crazy, and the whole song is his wife um trying to convince him no 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 these are martians we got to take this seriously he's like well this is actually judgment and i told you so i've told you so but i've also failed the human race by no one believe let's play a little bit yeah, of it. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty great Didn't I want Right before Parson Nathaniel and his wife both get uh, destroyed by the Martians, <laughs> but it's a great. It really does hit those like wonderful musical, uh, you know, feels, right? I mean, I think this is one of the great things about Thin Lizzy that I didn't realize. I mean, they stand at the nexus of a bunch of different things. I mean, it turns out that uh, he became really good friends with Huey Lewis. Yes, we'll and, get there with that stuff. But, but like Huey crazy, Lewis toured right? with Open for them, Clover, his band, Open for them, and it. Convinced, he covered, Huey Lewis covers one of his songs, and Huey Lewis decides he he credits uh, Phil with teaching him how to be a frontman. Wow, I'm not kidding. He said he saw. I have to up my game. I have to become a real rock star, and it huh. was you know his moment was yet to come. Right. Uh, it was not the, the the power of love, still in the distance. <laughs> the, uh, if this is it, sports. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the best, sports. One of the greatest album titles of all time. So here we are. It's 1978, and they released Live and Dangerous. He's doing all these side projects, but then they finally he finally gets Gary Moore back in the band. Yeah. Gary Moore, who's this the guitar virtuoso, for what I consider to be their single greatest record, Black Rose, a rock legend, um, pound for pound. Song for song, kills me. It's got all the stuff. Thank you. 
Yeah, that's awesome. amazing. Also, his like he is on point lyrically. He's he's got it. Yeah, the song on there called "With Love" is another it's great. Is another brilliant tune. And then Rosen Dub. That's the that's the highlight. I mean, maybe the highlight of their whole discography. Yeah, maybe. Um, Rosen Dub is um, it's like a nine minute song, which is him taking a ton of different Irish tunes and giving them the Thin Lizzy treatment. And it's kind of the the one he the the song what I've read is that he that he always wanted to make and gary moore he always wanted to do it with him right and it's this sort of master stroke of yeah. the marriage of hard rock irish music um black white um all you know, the references late, it's 79 here you get playboy of the western world he talks about yates he t- you know it's all packed in there shall we yeah <laughs> Black Rose, a rock legend, uh, start to finish an amazing song. There's a yeah, song in there that's called your album, Sarah right there. about his daughter, I think. Yeah. And it's it's got a it's kind of a yacht rock vibe to it that really works, I think. Yeah. Or yacht rock might be too strong of a word, but it's beautiful and it's sort of easy, easy listening. Uh, but next to these monumental, monolithic guitars. so And a hell of an album cover, too. It's great. <laughs> I think Brian Fitzpat- Jim Fitzpatrick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did he do that one, too? I'm pretty sure he oh, did. Oh, man, of course. So, um, yeah. We lose Gary Moore, though. His drug use by this point is starting to really... Phil's. Phil's is starting to alienate people, from what I can tell. But Chinatown... Um, <laughs> going down to Chinatown. <laughs> it's, this is not the, known as their best record. No, but I have to say, like Chinatown cracks me up just because, I, once again, Chinatown gets a bad rap. <laughs> Maybe there's, we should play it. There's never the happy time. things happening in any Chinatowns no, in the and, world. And this is the sort of epitome of all Chinatown <laughs> st- songs and stories. Like, nothing good happens there. <laughs> <laughs> Steer clear. <laughs> you don't stand a chance if you go down in Chinatown. Oh, man. Um, I think around this time, their there, replacement guitarist is a guy named uh, Snowy White. He is. And uh, evidently, he played with Pink Floyd and Peter Green. Uh, those that's a, That looks good on your CV, I think. And his name is Snowy White. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Snowy White, by the way, goes on to have an incredible, awesome. Uh, the, he, the only other thing to know about Snowy White is he has a song called "Bird of Paradise," which is a big. It's kind of a hit. It's like a top really? ten hit. And uh, I listened to it, and Lex, you were gonna love this song. <laughs> It's. It doesn't sound. I think he's not a good fit for Thin Lizzy, which is starting to become, as you can hear from Chinatown, is starting to become slightly. It's. It's tipping into the self-parody. Yeah, we're going off the rails a little bit. And uh, Phil's also around this time working on his first solo record, which is where Huey comes in. Which is where good he, old, good old Huey. And what's his? Is this uh, Mark Knopfler? Solo in Soho. Is yes, Solo in Soho. Um, the song that I like is. Uh, is King's Call. With, Let's talk about King's Call for a Yeah. Second. It's sort of an American Pie situation. Well, King's Call is, I think, uh, a, a, a shining star in the constellation uh, known as songs about Elvis dying. <laughs> well, uh, tell me more, because I do not know enough song. Elvis Neil dying Neil Young's songs. Hey, Hey, My, My is okay, a song about Elvis that. dying. Uh, a Rock and Roll Fantasy by the Kinks. Uh, is also about Elvis dying around the same time. It's an amazing song. Johnny Bye Bye is a song by um, by Bruce Springsteen, which is all about Elvis dying. It, there's there, there's a sub, very very small subgenre of might need to do rock stars being like, I woke up and I found out the king had died, and uh, now everything's changed now that the king is gone. I mean, I I I guess it's it's our Bowie dying. You know, it's like. I could see how it's like a big effing deal. Well, I'm a, I'm a mammoth Elvis Presley fan, a fanatic even, you might say. And uh, it pains me to know that our lives did not overlap in any respect. John Lennon and I, we did overlap a little yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. but not Elvis Presley. I, and he writes this song called King's Call, which is basically like he heard that Elvis died, so he went out and bought a bottle of whiskey. And gin. <laughs> and a bottle of gin. Yeah, and, it doesn't just stop at the then, whiskey like, bottle. It, that happens on the day he heard it die, and the day they bury the king. He goes and uh, he's always listening for the king's call. Right. And it's got that Knopfler vibe to it. It's 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 a nice little song. You can always hear the king call. You can always hear the king call. I wonder if you know it's So the one thing I'll say about what comes next. So Renegade has um, Angel of Death. <laughs> Angel of Death. Um, true to your your point about uh, Phil writes about people dying a lot. Um, but it has Renegade on there, which I kind of love. Um, it has kind of a uh, uh, Roxy Music Avalon vibe. Um, and Nothing I'm wrong with that. I'm sure that was trendy at the time, but... Uh, uh, it's got a it's got a good sound to it. Money is a king when it's on his own. He's got a bike and that's a stroke. And when it rains, he's like the wind. To you and me, he's a renegade.
So, I mean, I, I don't think I'm reaching too far to say that this is Phil talking about himself. No, you know, I, don't like, think, I don't think at all. Uh, he's a, a clown that's fallen down and, and, and everybody else on the outside sees him as this badass renegade. But he's, he's a mess, essentially, yeah. at this point in his life. And they're... Um, and overworked, overdrugged. Um, the whole deal, everything's falling apart. Their sound is out of fashion. Um, however, they try to put keyboards in. It 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 only kind of works. Yeah. Um, however, I I would say his next solo album, the Linnet album, has some really interesting stuff mm. on it. And had he that's nineteen eighty two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Had he stuck around with us, I I, I think that would have been more indicative of things to come. Well, it's got that song "Fatalistic Attitude," man, which is incredible. Uh, and good then, morning. This is Nightline. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just a fatalistic attitude. It's um. It's another story song of his, but it's also got the song Yellow Pearl, yeah, which becomes the theme song, I guess, for Top of the Pops, but we would have very little reference for that. Right. Um, it's just an incredible song. He co-writes with Midge Ure. Now, Midge Ure, Midge is actually, it's not trying to form majeure. It's Midge is just Jim backwards. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the extent of it. Nothing fancy. But he fills in for a little bit in one of these tours, and he goes on to form Ultravox. He's, okay. uh, he's unbelievably gifted guy and that sort of synth poppy um, stuff and Ultravox is worth an episode for sure but um, he co-writes the song Yellow Pearl which is really about Japanese technology taking over the world I think it's, yeah. it's what today would be called quite a problematic song yep. it's but pretty great though I sort of like some of these records I mean there's a revolving door of um, guitarists at this point and they're still doing some Sin Lizzy stuff now I read that I didn't know this in 1981 they are the first people to headline Slane Castle which is the great, enormous uh, Irish concert venue. And as to for um, their support, it's 1981, mind yeah. you. Kirsty McCall, yep. Hazel O'Connor, who I don't know, and a scrappy young band called U2. Yeah. And, you know, U2 is, uh, I'm, I've got a deep, long affection for them, but they, they cite Thin Lizzy as a huge, yeah, as an Irish some... band trying to make it. Thin Lizzy was really the only example of that on that level that they had in front of them. But yeah, there's a real passing of the torch there, I think. Um, and, you know, a transition of eras. This is a band that makes its country proud, mm-hmm. and U2 takes that mantle. Yes. But if that's not an intro to Yellow Pearl, I don't know what is, because there's really no such thing as an intro to Yellow Pearl, <laughs> which is, uh, I think, is a great. Here's the, here's the studio version. So there you go. There's one more Thin Lizzy record, right? Um, yeah, I do want to say the the one thing about the Phil Linnet album. Um, uh, there's there are some good songs together. I think is a pretty interesting song. Uh, Don't talk about my baby. I really like a lot. Um, and the man's a fool is a essentially a disco song, and I think you'll like it uh, because it has uh, a laughing track in it, Ooh, which happens you know to be me. one of your favorite. <laughs> um, but yeah, Thunder and Lightning comes next. Um, really, uh, 
not good. Except for uh, <laughs> it's metal. I mean, it's, it's it it sounds like yeah. hair metal. I would say it's it's it, which is a little sad because they're the people that influenced all that stuff, and now they're trying to kind of bring it chase on board it. to chase it. You, you see this a lot of bands. They they're the vanguard, and then they kind of fall behind and they try to get relevant again. It doesn't quite work. Um, Bad habits, I would say, is the one interesting song off that album. Oh, I almost forgot to mention to you that in 1983, this is after uh, Thunder and Lightning's released. Yeah, he is part of a quote-unquote charity single with none other than Roy Wood, um. called "We Are the Boys Who Make All the Noise," uh, which is just basically a bunch of old songs uh, huh. strung together. And there's a video of it that's debuted on TV, and uh, Phil looks terrible. I, I mean, remember. he looks like glassy-eyed and just awful. And, yeah. Um, and Roy doesn't exactly look great either, but it's um, it, something's happening in that uh, strange moment. But that's, you know, sort of watching a few of our favorites come together. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that when we, we were talking about Roy Wood. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, I think, a, a hard time for, for anybody that, that rises that, that high. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, at that point, um, he's sort of chasing former glory. Um, Thin Lizzy, as, as we know it, has has fallen apart. Um, the the sound that they pioneered is is not that popular. Um, he's reaching for new stuff, and then he's sort of dogged by drugs. The battle never actually ends with a drug. The the frightening thing about heroin is that. And again, without trying to glamorize the drug at all, is that it is very enjoyable to take. It's, it's, it, it cuts off reality. If you've got a lot of problems and you want to just... So it's very easy to... You know, I mean, it's so easy. It would be so easy for me to just jump up on television and say, hey, this is the pits. Don't do it. The, the thing that's never put across on television very well is how enjoyable it can be he's been driving this band for uh over 10 years driving it hard driving it hard and not in great health and it gets the best of him and by 1986 uh he passes away Mm -hmm. um gets pneumonia and and his body's not at this point injecting heroin into his toes i mean that that sort of thing his his his, yeah but he's still like living with his mother this is the Radio 2 News with Leo Enright. On the program just ended, and in many countries of the world, friends and music colleagues of Phil Linnett have been paying tribute to the Irish rock star who died this afternoon in an English hospital. He was just 36. Russ Shields, who played with him in Skid Row, says nothing is ever going to be the same again. He says it's one of the saddest things ever to happen in Irish rock. Phil Linnett died at Salisbury Hospital of pneumonia and heart failure. He'd been under intensive care since collapsing on Christmas night, and his estranged wife, Caroline, has been at his bedside with her father leslie crowther but it's a sad it's a sad ending he had, he had started a band called grand slam which yeah is yeah kind of a 
I don't think it's a very good name for a band, but it's um they couldn't get a record deal, and partly it's because not because the songs weren't there. The songs were good. It was because people were so wary of Phil's habits, right? He had a way of drawing people into his orbit and then kind of, um, you know, burning them. I've got to give it up. I've got to give it up. just because Phil is such a poet and there is so much of a singular charm and mythology to their music. So it's been really fun. But what, what are your top five Okay, here? top five. Uh, Little Darlin', again, just floors me. Um, Sitamoia, uh, I think is a great song. The just thundering drums. Again, with Brian Downey, he, he's, he's a beast there. Um, King's Vengeance, which we played, I love a lot. Uh, Fighting My Way Back, also love... Um, and then we played Renegade, so I feel good that that's been represented. So I do want to mention Got to Give It Up on Black Rose, which is about addiction. Um, and God, it's, it's, it's a pretty wonderful song. Okay. I'm going to go with, um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, the ballads are a little, we, we haven't really talked about them as much. Um, I think Whiskey in the Jar, I just love it. I love, 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 love it. And I know it doesn't represent them that well, but it's great. Um, uh, Massacre off oh. Johnny the Fox, I love. Um, then Rose and Dub. Yep. Off of um, uh, Black Rose. And Do Anything You Want to Do off Black Rose. Ooh. I'd include Cowboy Song, finally, Good off call. Jailbreak. Though, and if I had a, a one a solo track to choose. Yeah. It would not. I as much as I love the Lonely Heart song, I would put the live version of Yellow Pearl on. I can't get enough of the it. The Grand Slam. The Grand Slam version where he's singing all of the synthesized parts, and it just works. Huh. It works. I, I. It's stuck in my ear. I like it. It's a total discovery for me with all this, as most of it is. But that's my top five. Awesome. Um, what do you think about uh, sort of in the tradition of, of the King's Call? Okay. Um, King's Call is, is Phil talking about the day that he heard that uh, Elvis died. Um, there's this song that I put on that playlist that I sent to you called, it's a band I've never heard of called Jape, I think. Yep. And the song is called Phil Linnet. Um, but it's about uh, this uh, uh, singer and band's connection to Phil as being a guy uh, who is from not only Dublin but from the neighborhood that Phil was from called Crumlin. So here we go. 
I was out drinking with two of my oldest pals One is called Glenn, one is Al We were at Mastodon They had just covered a song by a band You might know Thin Lizzy Before the end of the song I got a text on my phone It was about the moon It said it's ending soon So I grabbed my friend Al And said let's check it out This kind of shit doesn't happen too often Oh, and like two giggling boys We went outside from the gig When we saw what we saw We were so glad that we did Cause there right in the sky Was a half-covered moon And all the rockers around us Were saying Look at the fucking moon I took a breath in my lungs The band's still playing a song By a man who is from the same place That I'm from Even though he was tough You could tell he was kind And when he took the stage He owned it And now right in the sky Was his half-opened eye He's still winking at girls In the front row children like it worries me if i see like there is a few like a couple of agents in control of power up there then it really annoys me because all of a sudden it's not me that they're affecting they could affect my children's life and that's uh to say that of all the people I've known that have died in the music business, Phil Lynott is probably one of the only ones I really miss. He was a great user. 